like, I've made this choice many times before. Would you rather be able to feel sadness and all that and be having this recurring sadness? Or would you rather just not feel at all? Many of those times I've chosen that I would rather be sad and deal with that than not take something that made me not feel much of anything. That was Jared who lives with ADHD and depression, talking about some of the choices he needs to make as part of his treatment plan. In this episode of Silent Superheroes, Jared talks a lot about the choices he's made and those he continues to make, treatment or no treatment, unmedicated and sad or on medication and gaining weight, working and risking your mental health or quitting and having no money. I think when you boil it down, that's all we are, the sum of a lifetime of choices, both good and bad. And the important thing about choice is that every choice we take is an opportunity to learn. Remember, neither Jared nor I are medical professionals. We're talking about our personal experiences of living with mental illness. If you're considering a change to your treatment plan, please consult with a trained medical professional. My name's James Pratt. I'm the host of Silent Superheroes, and I'm really glad that you're here. Welcome to the Silent Superheroes Podcast, a series of frank conversations about mental health at work. Hello, and welcome to Silent Superheroes. I'm here today with my guest, Jared. Jared, welcome to the to the show. Hello, thank you for having me on. Pleasure. No worries. So Jared, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, what do you do? I'm Jared. I'm young adult male. I, I work in technology and um, for, for a large part of my life, I've suffered from depression, among other um, mental issues. Take us back in time to um, that first diagnosis or maybe even before that. What led you to start exploring whether you had depression? Gosh, I was maybe, you know, I was I was in middle school and uh, early on in probably elementary school was diagnosed with ADHD and, you know, I had been struggling with medication, finding the right one to help manage the ADHD. Some of the medications I had tried for that just had these wildly negative adverse effects Mm. that I didn't enjoy and triggered a bunch of feelings in me where I don't enjoy things. This is Mm. boring and this is bad and I'm sad. Mm. So um, was that a a new feeling at that time? I don't know. Before the middle of elementary school, you're you're, you're a child. You're not really living. You're not Mm -hmm. your own person. And um, in elementary school is when I started to gain uh, my own autonomy and be able to uh, not need a babysitter. Yeah. you know, my mom would leave me home alone mm-hmm. or yeah. whatever. That That's when I started to explore my own interests and mm. figure myself out. Right. That's, I guess, when the feelings came yeah. up of being not happy. And you tied that to ADHD medication. Um, I don't know if that was an intentional connection or it was just something that happened at the, at the same time. I, I tied it in because some of the medications for ADHD, uh, they produce effects where kind of dulled 
CNS stimulants uh, can level things out if you have ADHD and mm-hmm. they just make it sort of dull. For me, switching around between different medications mm-hmm. brought out feelings of zombie-like state where I was just there and going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Medication, I wouldn't say spawned that feeling, but just sort of exaggerated mm-hmm. and made it known. And so I'm not necessarily blaming that. No, but, no. Um, okay, so you started to get this sense of being persistently unhappy. I forget the exact words mm-hmm. that you described. What did you do from there? What was the next step? Hopped around between therapists mm-hmm. uh, when I found out that this didn't work, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. Tried many different antidepressants. You know, those never worked well. It really just going through life, not really doing anything to manage it at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. That's part of what allowed the negative feelings to fester and grow and magnify themselves. You know, it's been years and years just really off and on being in therapy and off and on being on antidepressants Mm. or ADHD or Mm. whatever, Mm -hmm. or in combination even. Tell us a little bit about what depression means to you. To me, it's a lack of energy, motivation, and willpower isn't the right word, but it's along those lines of uh, being able to do things or wanting to do things. It it presents itself in the the form of having trouble with everyday tasks, Mm. getting up in the morning, maintaining decent health, and just being able to maintain interpersonal relationships with Mm. others just as a few of the things that it causes trouble with you know over over the years i've through therapy i've learned to manage the illnesses a bit better in other other ways it's gotten worse because there's other areas of it that i've not gotten a good amount of skills to be able to wrangle it all in for an example when Mm. i was in high school you're, you're a child, you're in school, there's that forced interaction with others. Mm-hmm. You're able to build friendships and able to build human connections. Mm. As, since I've gotten out of school so many years ago, I've struggled with it, with uh, forming friendships and um, not really gotten a wrangle in on that aspect uh, in particular. How does that affect your depression, not having those friendships or finding it hard to form them? It's very isolating and it's painful in a way, I guess. Not really feeling like you're a part of this group of friends or this Mm. group of people or not really feeling I belong Mm. somewhere. And um, just there, there's like a uh, disconnect, almost, almost like an elephant in the room where you know it's there, but getting through it is not that easy. It hampers things like making small talk or being able to converse with people. Then in in other ways that it manifests, uh, makes it hard to maintain the friendships you made in high school that, that, you know, or lifetime type of things that, you know, you stay in contact. Mm. So you make friends like that where you just stay connected and then it it hampers that. It's 
hard to maintain that. Mm. Uh, not not as if it's negligence or intentionally destructive. Mm. It's just you you can't maintain yourself, so it makes it hard to maintain everything else. Yeah, and so those friendships fade, those relationships just degrade over time, mm. and then you're left alone. I guess you yeah. could say it becomes a cycle where perhaps the friendships are actually helpful. That's what I find certainly with the depression yeah. part of bipolar, that having people I can talk to is super helpful. But because in a depression, calling somebody or going to an event is super, super hard work or feels hard work. Yeah. Then you're right. Those 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 friendships can fade because it takes yeah. energy to put into them. And maybe you don't always get the return immediately. Yeah, absolutely. And not to cast judgment on other people. I mean, some, some <laughs> people will take offense yeah. that you had a bad day and you mm. just don't want to have interaction and that perpetuates the cycle even more and i mean you know occasionally you'll find people that understand that Mm -hmm. like oh yeah well that's fine you had a bad day you had a bad week month whatever yeah but you know just i'm still here for you (laughs) just so it's it's very much people accepting you as you are sure yeah you said uh, a bad day a bad week a bad month sounds like depression can last for a long time Yes. For you. So talk to us about that, your experience of more severe depression. I, I've struggled with it for 17, 18 years mm-hmm. now. It's a large part of the length of my life already. Like I had explained, there's mm-hmm. this general feeling of negativity yeah. and badness. But then depending on the environment or situations around you, uh, it can be better or worse. I would say for me, the worst times that I have usually are about a week or two in length, and those are pretty uh, dark times. Then, you know, there's the general month or month and a half, two months, whatever, uh, length of time where it's in between the normal down. Mm -hmm. It's not super deep depression. Yeah. Your your normal is below below most people's normal. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. we we had a conversation about this the other day and describing if you come out of a, a depression, it's not like you're suddenly enjoying the li- life in the way that other people do. Yeah. You know, there's exactly. often it's said about depression that it makes it difficult to to enjoy things. I think someone said recently, depression makes it difficult to enjoy a sunset. I, I can say that, yeah, to follow on that. One, one thing that I've noticed over the years is I'm not sure if you're big into photography. Not particularly. In fact, I would say I'm a terrible photographer. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Are you familiar with the terms like hue and saturation? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, So, you know, in Photoshop, when you change the saturation of something, Mm -hmm. it changes the, um, I wouldn't say intensity, but Mm -hmm. just whether it's colorful or not. Personally, I, I find that in times of really deep depressions that it's it's as if my eyes are sort of detuned and Mm -hmm. uh, everything feels less saturated in the good times there's more 
exaggeration right. in life to make a sort of reference, I guess. Sometimes the colors just pop. The grass is right. really green. Yeah. The tree is mm-hmm. really green. And you can feel it. You can see it. And yeah. it's something that I am critically aware of just because I, I'm tuned to it. It is an indicator that I use to see how I'm I'm doing in a uh, physical state. I'm listening to you talk and I'm hearing that you know, depression for you isn't just an internal feeling, like it actually affects your perception of the outside world. Like you, absolutely. you're describing almost like, you know, the colors turned down or the brightness is turned yeah. down, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does affect my perception. It affects my attitudes, my mm. moods, mm. Um, the way I interact with others, yeah. the way I perceive others and the way I perceive the environment around me. I, I notice it within myself. I can't say for others, but I mean, for me, it absolutely is intrinsically linked. Mm. Let's talk about the the darker times. So sure. you live in a you know a state of a lower grade depression a lot of the mm-hmm. time. Saturations turned a little down a little. When you slip into those darker times, what's that experience and how's that different? It's not really something that I feel like I can measure in the moment. Mm. Um, you know, after coming out of a deep depression, it, I can realize, oh, hey, yeah, wow, that was really bad yeah. and unfun. It's usually just a period of time where I don't feel good mm. at all, where being alive is hard. Uh, you know, I don't have the energy to wake up. I don't have the energy to eat food. I don't have the energy to keep myself alive. Where the feeling is like, I would rather not exist, Mm -hmm. but I really don't want to kill myself right now. And um, I was reading this article and it was about depression and about chemical abuse and mm-hmm. other all, how these things are related. And the the idea was brought up that depression was possibly developed by the human mind to prevent suicide. Mm. Uh, because if you're too lazy to get out of bed, how are you <laughs> going to kill yourself? Uh, and it, the title is something about robots can no longer turn themselves off. Mm. And it goes uh, in the sci-fi future uh, where we have autonomous robots that mm. can do their own things. A uh, new patch is released. Before the patch, these robots would just turn themselves off at the slightest inconvenience. Mm. And with this patch, they can no longer do mm. that. So very much in the in the realm of sci-fi, like a sci-fi exploration of, of depression. That sounds yeah. cool. What is ADHD? What does that mean to you? Inability to just concentrate on things. My mind's bouncing in a million places at mm-hmm. once all yeah. over the room. And yeah. I can't sit down and focus on mm. this task yeah. that I need to complete because this other thing has taken my attention. As a child, it can manifest as being hyper. I know that in recent years, medical professionals have started dropping the age because I, I don't know the exact research behind it, mm. but essentially 
being hyperactive child does not necessarily mean ADHD. Mm-hmm. And they can be linked, but are not always linked. So I, I was on ADHD medications from elementary school all the way up to high school. And then I stopped for about seven, eight years. And back in 2016, mm-hmm. I went and saw a psychiatrist and explained my history. And uh, we started to explore our options for treatment of ADHD. And, you know, in the six, seven years that I was off it, I had learned many ways to manage the ADHD issues on my own without the help of medications. And the reason why I wanted to explore it again was to get get a leg up on it and be able Mm. to manage better than just managing on my own. What was it that helped you manage that ADHD and the break that you took from medication? Willpower. (laughs) Okay. I I just, I had to push through it and Mm. deal with the problems with focusing on things. Mm. It was hard. It was really hard to try and run through that. But I mean, it it allowed me to explore myself and be able to figure out what really motivates me Mm. and makes me feel good and what makes me feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And being able to force myself to concentrate on something versus just letting the inability to concentrate take over. Can you give an example to help people understand that ADHD experience of an activity you might be doing and then of how those distractions would come up or how your attention would be pulled onto different things? Uh, so, you know, it's it's 6 p.m. You just got home from mm-hmm. work. You're tired. You want to yeah. relax. And so you sit down at your computer and get on whatever chat program it is Mm -hmm. or you start playing a game and then you realize oh it's 1am now Mm. and I needed to go to the store and I needed to do x y and z before I went to sleep but now it's 1am and I just spent you know six seven hours playing a video game and chatting with friends yeah that sounds very focused seven hours playing a a video game so help us understand it's how that's part of ADHD. It's the time management bits because ADHD is not inherently a an inability to focus. Mm-hmm. It's an inability to direct focus on what needs it. Got it. And so it's a lot more common in people on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. but one thing you'll find to make a sort of small generalization mm-hmm. is that somebody with ADHD or autism is able to very intently focus Mm -hmm. on this specific thing if it's engaging, if it's interesting, and if it's worth it. And I mean, some people may experience ADHD and the inability to focus. Mm. But for me personally, I experience it in the inability or struggling with placing priorities prioritization Mm. of tasks that need to be completed and then finding myself getting caught up with something that really doesn't deserve me spending all this time on it where you know I should have been cleaning or whatever. Talking to Jared about his ADHD, I think I fell into a trap that a lot of people fall into around mental health. 
I thought about ADHD using a lazy stereotype. Jared explained that it's not about being distracted. It's about not being able to put your focus where it needs to be. I'd appreciated the subtlety and nuance that Jared brought to the discussion, and that every step he'd taken along the way had been thoughtful and deliberate. And it was clear that Jared had tried lots of different medications to treat his ADHD and depression. And I wanted to hear more about the medications he'd tried and the experiences that he'd had. Talked a bit about uh, medications. Yeah. And tried lots of different medications. I'm curious, like, how much of the list of medications can you remember? Reel them off for us. In in addition to the ADHD and depression, I also have a bad back and I, I am in pain almost 24-7 and I, I throw that in there just because I, I deal with pain physically and it hurts, it drags me down. Mm. But then also there's the depression, ADHD, which are mental pain and make it hard to do everything else. Mm-hmm. I take a passing interest in pharmacology uh, because I have had much experience with a lot of different medications Mm. and it's a really interesting thing. But um, of the things I've tried and been prescribed, been given to try and manage things, many of the major ADHD medicines, uh, Ritalin, Vyvanse, Adderall, Dexedrine, Focalin, for depression, see, there's Wellbutrin, there's Prozac, many of the common SSRIs and yeah. SNRIs, and then also to help manage the pain, physical and mm-hmm. mental. I've had prescriptions for painkillers mm-hmm. just to help manage the day-to-day things. Right. All, all of the medicines have had their positives and negatives, and for one reason or another, I've stopped this one and started that one. Yeah. Or, and What um, have been some of the, you know, maybe side effects or reasons that you have come off a medication and maybe tried something different? So for many of the antidepressant chemicals, the apathy that they inspired, the gaining of weight, the sexual dysfunction mm. that they have, some of the ADHD meds, just the feelings that they inspire. My heart's racing, but I don't have the energy to do anything. Right. Or, you know, being amped up and unable to concentrate because the feeling of this ADHD medication is overwhelming. And, you know, some of the medications, some of them are mixed salts. Yeah. And uh, some of those salts don't agree with your physiology. Right. You you can get medical emergency adverse effects, right. or you can just be not not even affected at yeah. all. It's again a case of this medication helps with this thing, but it causes me to put on weight. Do I want to be you know depressed or you know perhaps overweight? So for my entire life, I've always been technically underweight, mm-hmm. almost at an unhealthy level. Right. That that weight is sort of how I've always viewed myself, mm-hmm. and how I've gone through my life, and um, that's me. It's yeah. how I'm comfortable with myself, and uh, I remember trying a. Uh, an antidepressant medication, Wellbutrin, I believe it was. Mm. In three months, I had put on 30, 40 pounds. Wow. I quit that cold turkey. You know, I would rather be sad and feel sad rather than be apathetic to absolutely everything and be gaining weight. Right. And I feel 
I should point out here that most physicians, I think, would advise you not to quit. Yes, um, correct. Yeah. <laughs> medications cold turkey because it can be a pretty traumatic experience, right? Yeah. I mean, depending on the medications, there could be r- risks of withdrawal mm. or just to throw an example, like serotonin syndrome. What's that? It's where your body or your mind can't process serotonin properly. It's potentially fatal. Wow. You know, it's usually recommended to taper off and to be careful. For me, it was a, such a dire situation, mm. but it was important enough that I said, I don't care. I don't like this medicine. Yeah. It yeah. is very bad for me. So right. I'm stopping, stopping it right now. Yeah. For somebody who's interested in pharmacology, would you be able to explain roughly what serotonin is and what it does? Serotonin and dopamine are just chemicals that are produced by your brain or through other chemicals that uh, essentially uh, when those molecules find the receptors in your brain, they trigger feelings of happiness mm-hmm. or whatever. I can't give the exact things, but essentially right. molecules that go into receptors right. that make you feel right. good. So then SSRIs, selective serotonin Re-up- reuptake inhibitors. Yes. So essentially that means that it stops your body from absorbing it mm. and allows it to re-enter the receptor, which when it enters the proper receptor makes you feel okay. Yeah. To make it abstract, imagine your brain like a pool or something yeah. and you have certain amounts of X, Y, and Z in mm. the pool. There's the filtration system and the filtration system cleans up this thing. Uh, SSRIs mm. would stop the filtration system from filtering filtering out X, Y, and Z. Got it. And so they allow more of that to just be in your brain, in your body. And then theoretically you, you maintain a, a happier state. Or less sad. And I, there, there's a big distinction that I just wanted to clarify yeah. because it, it makes you not sad. I mean, it depends on every person, but it does not necessarily make you happy. And That's a uh, great distinction. For me, SSRIs inspired apathy. They smoothed everything out mm-hmm. and I did not feel much of anything. Yeah. It was just almost zombie-like. You know, I, I've made this choice many times before. Would you rather be able to feel sadness and mm-hmm. all that and be having this recurring sadness? Mm-hmm. Or would you rather just not feel at all? Many of those times I've chosen that I would rather be sad and deal with that than mm-hmm. not take something that made me not feel much of anything. Are you taking any uh, any medications at the moment? Yeah, uh, I'm taking an ADHD medication and some muscle relaxants for mm-hmm. the back pain I have. And um, they help a lot. But um, with ADHD medications, they have fairly short half-lives. So you feel good for right. the 12 hours that it mm-hmm. works. But then medication wears off and yeah. then you're back to feeling not so good. And so it takes a sort of careful measurement and careful monitoring to be aware of how much you're taking, how it makes you feel, Mm -hmm. if it's too much, too little. And then you get on to thinking about, am I developing tolerances? Is this right? Is this working? Are the negative effects or potential negative effects worth it? Uh, Am I experiencing those? Mm -hmm. Are they good or bad? 
bad. Yeah. Just having to think about so many different things to decipher about whether it's working or not and yeah. how to proceed. What kind of things have you worked on with therapists? What have you tried to help you manage the depression? Regulating sleep cycles, trying to force myself to do things. Trying to logically think through feelings. If I notice I'm going down a rabbit hole of negative mm. thoughts, I try and pause it or stop it. Just stop and think about, well, how did I get to this thought? Mm. Uh, and trace it back to before that and think, well, how did I get there? Right. Continue back until the thought is no longer inherently negative. And um, that's something that's greatly helped me in trying to stop these negative thought patterns right. that if left unchecked, you can go down those rabbit holes and dig yourself deeper. Yeah. And that's painful. If we think about it through the lens of programming, it's like you're working back through the call stack. Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, trying to debug, okay, where, what went wrong here? Where did this piece of code go, go exactly off base? That. One thing that's coming up for me right now is this, uh, this idea of effort. And you talked before about when you're in a depression, how simple things become effort. Getting out of bed, yeah. cooking food, etc. And then you've also just talked about the effort that you've put in over decade and a half to go talk to different therapists, try different medications, mm -hmm. try different tools and techniques for helping you manage depression. I think I understand what you were saying, and it's different levels of energy for different things that are important in their own ways. Yeah. I, I must put in the effort mm. to get up and go to work or else I don't have a job, yeah. which means no money and no right. place to live. It's it's a sort of subconscious assigning mm. importance to things right. where if I you know don't see a therapist, I'm just going to in this hole if mm -hmm. I don't do this or I don't yeah. do that I'm going to be in a bad place yeah. it's a sort of subconscious thing you know a week in I realize oh hey yeah I've not eaten good food in mm -hmm. a week and subsisted on energy drinks yeah and right. uh, then you realize oh yeah that's probably not a good thing to it's do. not helping right now yeah One of the quirks of living with mental illness is that it's often treated quite differently to a physical illness. But the funny thing is, the two things are bound together. For some people, the pain of living with a mental illness isn't just mental. It can also have physical side effects. People living with a mental illness can feel physical pain. For Jared, when he looks at the world in his depression, it's like the saturation is turned down. And then if you look at it from the opposite direction, you start to realize that the brain and serotonin, physical things, measurably physical things, influence the state of your mind. Jared deals with a lot. He lives with back pain. He lives with depression. He lives with ADHD. And I wondered, what impact had that had on his work? You work in technology. Explain maybe in a little more detail what it is that you do. I'm a systems engineer. I manage servers and keep everything running. And if they're not running, it's on me. And if I can't fix it, I go to the developers of the software and make them fix it. But I mean, it's it's really just making it work, monitoring it and managing it. And that's 
fun to me. I get a lot of enjoyment out of doing that. If yeah. I can manage my farm of servers mm-hmm. and have it run perfectly, that's yeah. awesome. What does it take to excel as a system engineer? There's always fires to put out mm. and there's always things to fix. So that, that makes it easy to choose a task or choose something to do. But on on that note, because I enjoy what I do, it allows me to say, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to fix it and then actually do it. You know, that's more or less how I do things in life. Part of it is a sort of internal want to grow. So I I need to seek out this information. I need to fix this. I need to figure out why this happened. And so that going down that rabbit hole allows me to fix things. But Mm -hmm. then I come out of it with the information of, oh, hey, wow, I learned this. And Hopefully in the future, if this happens again, I'll be able to fix it faster and, you know, maybe even prevent it from happening again. A lot of the work you do is interrupt driven, by which I mean, you said there are fires, things happen that need to be taken care of now. That dictates the priorities of your work. Yeah, I would say so. And so that difficulty you have with prioritizing what's the most important task is kind of taken care of by the nature of the work. Yeah. It's like this, this server is going down in flames, like... Best focus on that right now. Yeah. Okay. The the I, I guess to put that differently, the importance is externally defined, and that allows me uh, a lot more ease in trying to figure out what needs to be done. So I don't have to sit there and figure mm. out, well, this is important and this is important. What takes more importance? Mm. Um, whereas if it's defined externally, I can look at it and easily say, oh yeah, I should probably do this first because of this thing. In a very literal sense, like this ticket that's come in is rated like P0, which means like the highest priority. And so that kind of decision is is taken. Mm -hmm. Exactly. How does your experience of depression hinder your work, make it more difficult? And also, how does it support your work if it does? Hindering my work, I would say, you know, there's days where I have lots of trouble getting out of bed. And mm. So then I, you know, I'm moseying around and dilly-dallying. And then, you know, there's this thing that I needed to get done, but then it wasn't up to my spec. Sure, I got it done, but yeah. I didn't get it done in my right way. Right. And so it affects me in that sort of fashion where I feel like my quality of work goes down. If you looked at that objectively, how true is that statement? It's not true. Not true at all. Yeah. Um, I've gotten feedback from many different people in the form of coworkers or immediate manager, other managers or, you know, other teams where here I am feeling like crap, feeling Mm -hmm. like, oh, this this sucks. Everything is bad. And my work is just suffering right now. Mm. And then somebody comes and says, oh, hey, you kicked ass at that. Good job. Right. There's a potential connection Mm -hmm. that's forming in my mind. You described how you have been surprised by your performance and how you've been told that your performance is going up, despite internally you feeling like your performance is not good. Might that depression be contributing in some strange way to you pushing yourself harder and actually working better? 
probably. That had never occurred to me before, and that's why I'm interested to explore it, because... Yeah, absolutely. It's like I'd mentioned earlier, it's if I'm filling my time with work, then I don't necessarily have the energy or strength to feel bad about myself and i i have this internal drive that is not tied to everything else of the adhd or depression but i have this drive within myself to learn and excel and try to just gain knowledge Mm. if if i can absorb this knowledge i would like to and so that causes me to try to do more learn more it's not a good thing to tie your self-worth with output at work or how much you've learned or gained or whatever it's not a good thing to directly tie your self-worth to that and that's still something that i try and deal with Mm. and try and be better at doing but I mean, for me, if I'm learning or doing things that I find engaging and important, that allows me to feel good and allows me to push forward because, hey, I did this and this other thing is coming up and that's related to this. So right. I'm going to learn that too. It can increase output. Absolutely. Yeah. Where does the will come from to go show up at work? Multiple places, I guess. I fill my life with work because that means it takes up space of everything else. And if I'm busy with work, I don't necessarily have the time to focus on right. how bad I'm feeling right uh, now. I it takes, it takes away the, the kind of rumination almost. Yeah. 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 So I I try and fill my life with things to keep me mentally busy, Uh, whether it's a personal project or work or whatever it may be. Thankfully, I work in a field where I enjoy my work Mm. and like doing what I do. Not everybody has that opportunity. It's fun. There's days when I just I spend my entire day banging my head against my desk, Mm -hmm. but at least I'm not moping around, Mm -hmm. feeling sorry. Not not to say that I feel an obligation or that that I'm forcing myself to work or whatever. Uh, It's just it helps me a lot with the everyday bits and pieces, whereas the actual enjoyment of life and things in general... Um, does not come from that yeah. specifically. Yeah. How does work contribute to your sense of place in the world? I mean, I guess it's situational for me. The company I'm currently at and previous companies have been worldwide companies that have produced viable and useful things for mm-hmm. the world. And um, for me, that that gives an overall sense of purpose i Mm. guess whereas you know if i'm at a place where it's not doing anything truly revolutionary or groundbreaking or well not 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 to say that those are the sole factors doing what i do and being able to provide something that can potentially or does help better the world is more fulfilling and more almost engaging. It's nice to have it. For you, the work that you do has some purpose and meaning to it. And 
that work wouldn't necessarily be purposeful and meaningful to to everybody, but it sounds like you found a good match for you. What would it be like to work somewhere that wasn't purposeful and, and meaningful to you? I have no idea. I've had good jobs. I've had bad jobs. Mm. I've had jobs in the middle. You know, sometimes it's rewarding and fulfilling. Sometimes it's not. Mm. Sometimes it's downright garbage. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's entirely just situational. Yeah. How does your depression fare in those different scenarios? You know, garbage job, good job, etc. You know, I, I could be in a good job and in a bad position or mm-hmm. a position that requires not normal Monday to Friday, nine to mm-hmm. five type of things. Right. It depends, I guess. Most previous positions I've been in have been offset shifts with long hours, mm-hmm. and long weekends. I, I was on night shift for about a year and a half working 9 p.m. to 9 mm-hmm. a.m. And so I'd be waking up at 7 p.m. And yeah. that's that's my morning time. Mm-hmm. During my weekends, it was incredibly hard on me because I would wake up on the weekend at 9, 10 p.m., mm. 11 p.m. And there's absolutely nothing to do. Mm. Right. Uh, nobody to see, nowhere to go. And um, Back to know, that, that theme of isolation. And that, that really hurt. But then a spot opened up for that same position, but during days. Mm. And so I moved over to that position. It helped a lot because then, you know, I was awake during the hours that the sun was out. And Mm. I was still offset working weekends and Mm. weekdays and having a mix of weekdays and weekends off. Things got better at that time. But it was still introducing its own difficulties because then, you know, if I'm working Saturday, Day and Sunday, my friends work Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. and those are their days off. Yeah. And, you know, I can't do anything. I yeah. can't go and hang out and mm-hmm. go to a party or whatever it may yeah. be. And so it it's isolating in its own ways. Yeah. I think this statement is true for everybody, which is everybody in an ideal world would pick a job that allowed them to live their lives you know, in a way that suited them and also supported them in the way they wanted to live their lives. Sure. It seems though it's even more important for somebody who manages something like depression to find that right set of circumstances in your job. Absolutely. It's very important because, I mean, you're at your job for 40 hours a week, more or less. A large part of your waking time is spent at the office. And uh, if you are not enjoying that, then that produces a very large negative effect on Mm -hmm. everything else. If you don't have that in your life where you're okay with what you're doing or Mm -hmm. how you're working, where you're working, it can affect a lot of other things in your life Mm -hmm. and greatly hurt. And again, that is universally true for everybody, I, I think. But given the effort that is going into managing something like depression, it's important to find that role maybe that doesn't exacerbate the depression, doesn't make it worse. Yeah. Um, And a lot of the struggle is just finding things that don't make it worse. hmm. And a good world, you know, you'd be fixed. You'd, you'd have, find something that would help or make it better or mm. fix it or what whatnot. But a lot of the time, it's really just, how do I not make this worse? Mm. For, for me, that's what I try to aim for. Mm. Any better is good. Right. 
but um, you know, as long as I'm not hurting myself necessarily, it's yeah. all right. What's been your experience of talking about those those conditions at, at work? That's something I've somewhat tried to, or well, not not really avoided, but that's not really something that is stuff that I've brought up, really. Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, when I brought it up to my manager, things were very not well in my mind. Mm. And uh, I was struggling a lot. I was at a point of telling my manager, hey, I'm turning in my two weeks right? Uh, because I just couldn't take the problems that were inside my head. How did you expect your manager to react to, like, hey, I'm, I'm here, I'm managing anxiety and depression, and I think I'm doing a crappy job? I don't know. I, I don't know how I was expecting a reaction. Yeah, at that point. Yeah, and it, it was at the point where it was just so bad that I, I needed to take some action of my own, be it forcing a different environment, mm-hmm. by leaving the position, okay. or trying to see if there were other resources at the company. I don't know what I expected, and mm. I was absolutely ready to say, I right. can't do this. Yeah, it's a tough choice again, right? Yeah. You know, I, I feel bad enough. I think the work might, you know, maybe is making things worse. So maybe it's better for me not to work right now. Yeah. What was the reaction that you got from your manager? How did they, how did they receive that information? And then how did they, how did they act? I mean, first off, he said, oh no, you're doing just fine. You've right. been doing great. Also, I know that you're looking for more to do. Mm. I know that you want to do X, Y, and Z. Right. So I'll try and reach out to some other teams. Let's see if they can mm. toss some work over the fence. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try and give you more opportunity, mm. more responsibility. You know, it was a very positive reaction from my boss. Mm. Positive in terms of, it seems like you're very fo- much focused on the work. No, it was, it was positive overall uh, mm. as a person-to-person type of thing. Okay. Part of it was that I said, I need more stuff to do. I'm Got it. bored as hell. Yes. It sucks. And yeah. It's only making things work. Yeah. And I want to do more That's or great. else it's just going to get worse. And so that, that was the gist of it. And he yeah. said, okay, well, you know, you're a good employee. You've done mm. great work and mm-hmm. try and look for more things for you to do. And I mean, obviously it would be saddening as a manager to have you leave but if things do get to that point, please reach out to HR and figure it out with them. What do you think he did to create that good human to human experience for you? He listened to mm. what I was saying. You know, he, he gave, you know, a response that showed that he cared about employees yeah. and wanted his employees to do well. You know, it said, hey, I'm bored and want right. to do some other stuff. Yeah. And he said, okay, I'll see if I can find more tasks. During my interview, I told him, hey, I don't want to be in this position for long. I want to grow. I want to move. He was very open to that and like that because he interpreted that as while this person isn't going to be, you know, an employee for a million years, you know, he's ready to do the job, ready to learn. And the way I'd stated it was, hey, I like this. I want to do this job, but I also want to move on to another team and do more work and then see how that goes. He was very receptive to that because benefits the company and more than just 
one yeah. position. You came with a solution yeah. and you had trust in place already. So you felt like this person would listen and mm-hmm. they listened. Yeah. Right. And yeah. maybe without judgment, it sounds like. Yeah. I, I would say it was without judgment. It was, yeah. I don't really recall the exact <laughs> bits. If you could create a working environment and a role that completely supported you in managing the ADHD and the depression, describe what that role would be like. I don't know. Mm. We've heard a few things. I mean, manager that you have trust with. We've heard about you actually find it helpful to have the priorities set or influenced by things coming in for you learning I would say, you know, having human resource teams Mm. and management teams Mm. that are, you know, there for employees and you're not just necessarily a cog machine. You're a human. Yeah. There, you know, needs to be respect. There needs to be not asking for a hug box type of situation, (laughs) but common decency and yeah. you know communication between yeah. people people that you can place trust in you know if i can't trust my coworker to do this mm. then that's potentially something that i need to take on as, yeah. a, as a task Just trust and employees and good yeah. good communication between yeah. everybody and, and showing genuine care yeah for you as a as a person not just a resource from which profit or value can be gained or extracted. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, salary and benefits are nice and all, but, you know, if I don't have a team that I can feel a part of, it's not really ideal. I think Jared is lucky. He's found a job doing work that he finds meaningful. It's a job that wants the skills that he has. It helps him manage his ADHD by taking decisions about priorities out of his hands, keeping him busy so the negative thoughts don't creep in, and it feeds his interest in learning. It didn't occur to me at the time, but when I listened back to this conversation, I realized how much of Jared's work keeping his servers running is like how he manages his mental health. He's constantly monitoring, debugging, experimenting, trying to figure out where things went wrong. What is it you want people to know about living with a combination of ADHD and depression? Personally, I'm not looking for special accommodation. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has their own struggles and their own problems and issues and things that they deal with. So many times overall in life, not exclusive to the workplace, I've experienced people that just... Uh, are toxic. I, I don't know how to put it really. I've experienced just many people that are not conducive to a good environment. Mm-hmm. You know, being open and not pouring your heart out to everybody, but being open and communicative with your mm-hmm. coworkers and being able to speak open and freely mm-hmm. about this or that, or yeah. being able to freely give feedback where it's appropriate and, you know, being supportive or getting support and being supportive. You want to feel that it's okay to talk about that stuff and you don't want or expect sympathy or special treatment. Everything has its own time and place. Okay. And I wouldn't say it should become a topic or Mm -hmm. company-wide discussion sort of thing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, hey, I'm having a bad day right now. Yeah. Can 
can we not shoot the shit right now? <laughs> I just need to get this done and focus on other things that Got I it. really want to. You know, being able to speak with others and not feel obligated to be overly friendly or yeah. overly detached. Got it. If you could go back in time to speak to your middle school self, or if there was somebody who was listening who you know, had been diagnosed with ADHD and depression, what would you want them to know? Find good resources to help. And I know that's really vague uh-huh. and likely not helpful. But I mean, for me, some of the best help I've received has been through therapy or mm-hmm. having a doctor that I can talk shop with yeah. about my medication yeah. and not be shuffled off with, oh, you just need to take more Prozac. Being able to freely and comfortably talk with mm-hmm. a therapist and or psychologist or psychiatrist yeah. and not feel judged or pressured to mm. say things. So almost the precursor to that is talk with your support system, your therapist, your psychiatrist, whatever, about your experience and you know, if you're taking medication, how that's affecting you and making sure that if you're not getting conversation back, then find somebody else to, to talk about. Yeah, talk exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you know, not everybody has a support system or yeah. not everybody has the means to seek out doctors or medications. Mm-hmm. It is possible to manage these things on your own without mm-hmm. the help of those. You know, I did it for years, Yeah, but it's hard and it, it makes it more difficult in the long run. Yeah. If I, I inform good relationships, friendships, and, yeah. you know, have people that you can genuinely share feelings with yeah. and be true with, and that's what matters. There is no one fix-all solution for mm-hmm. these types of things, and one thing that works for one person may not work for yeah. somebody else. If you do find something that works, it's not necessarily going to be a one-time fix. Yeah. You know, it may take time to explore the right options of it and be able to zoom in on the good bits and the bad bits and be able to, you know, properly scope out what's needed and all of that. And it's it's a long journey and it's one that I don't want to say is perpetual, but as a person, you're constantly growing and changing and being able to handle those changes and being able to overcome those challenges is absolutely possible. I'm in a far better place mentally than I was a year and a half ago, but I still have a lot of things to get through on my own. Mm-hmm. But, you know, compared to a year and a half ago, I'm bounds ahead of where I was. That's great to hear. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's good. Jared, anything, um, anything else that you want to say before we wrap up? Life is funky. I uh, tend to look at life as a sort of oscillating pattern of good and bad. And I, I hold the belief that throughout life, it will normalize down to be, at minimum, just a bit better than okay. And I, I like to think that's true. And, you know, I, I've held on to that for a long while. Mm. You know, over time, things have 
gotten better for me. And through my own will and through having good people and seeking out my own support has helped me get to that place. Yeah. Jared, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been nice chatting. Always. So that's Jared's story, a systems engineer living with ADHD and depression. During our recording, Jared said, you're constantly growing and changing. When I was listening back to the recording, that caught my attention and I spent some time thinking about it. You have to constantly grow and change. Can't afford to stand still. I think that's true whether you have a mental illness or not. And often that growth and that change comes from making tough choices. The kind of tough choices that Jared talked about in today's show. Jared talked about how he'd used work as a distraction from his depression. And I realized that in the past, I'd used work as a distraction from the things going on in my head. But as I've learned to live with bipolar, I've realized that working too hard is risky for me. So one of the choices I've made is that I won't let work be the only thing I use to fill my time and fill my head. Sometimes that's friends, sometimes that's family, and sometimes it's recording a podcast. If you like what you've heard in today's show, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service. Those reviews help us find other people who are working with a mental illness and perhaps need to know that they're not alone. If you want to get episodes of Silent Superheroes as soon as they're released, you can subscribe in your podcast client, sign up for our newsletter at silentsuperheroes.com or follow us on Facebook. Take your mental health seriously. If you need to speak to someone, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or text crisistextline.org at 741-741. Both provide 24-7 confidential counseling to people in the United States. Worldwide, visit iasp.info slash resources slash crisis underscore centers slash. To help others find the Silent Superheroes podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service.